This is the Frankly Daniel Show, and I'm the Daniel in the Frankly part of this enterprise. It's my weekly exercise of our First Amendment rights, and it's an honor to be here today with you. So much to cover, so much to say, so let's jump right in. Wow. Well, I'm going to sound like I got up on the wrong side of the bed today, but I can assure you I didn't. And that's not what's got me so worked up today. I feel like we've been living on a giant fault line here in America. The simple dictionary definition of a fault line says it's a break or fracture in the ground that occurs when the Earth's tectonic plates move or shift. These areas are where those earthquakes are likely to occur. The kind of fault line I'm talking about, however, is a festering division or rift between philosophical, religious, ethnic, racial, or political differences. And the fault line difference I'm specifically talking about often swells into and an inevitable violent confrontation. The crazy thing about fault lines is that you rarely know or remember you're living on one until the ideological tectonic plates shift and you find yourself in the middle of a catastrophic quake. I'm telling you we're sitting largely clueless on top of one of the most critical fault lines this nation has ever toyed with. And ignoring this deepening fault line will will not make it go away. We're already experiencing many quakes. We saw one last week at Loudoun County, Virginia, where hundreds of parents gathered at an open school board meeting about the board's decision to include critical race theory or some facsimile of it to the school curricula. This along with issues about transgenderism policies at the school. So you ask exactly what fault line am I talking about? It's the coming conflict over critical social justice or CSJ, and it's about issues and forced government policies around racial equity. Critical social justice usually has a specific theoretical perspective that recognizes inequality as a deeply embedded structure in the fabric of our society. The practice of critical social justice means actively seeking to change this structural imperfection. Now both these issues, critical social justice and race equity are built upon critical race theory and it's about to burst wide open and swallow America in a terrible clash. In short, critical race theory divides Americans by skin color and parcels white Americans into an oppressor class and Americans of color into a victims or oppressed class. Now it's more complicated than this, but then again it isn't. Critical social justice and critical race theory assign blame and victims that are distorted attempt to address what critical theory believes are systemic structural maladies. Now let me ask you, when was the first time you heard that there was widespread systemic racism in America? Well, being an old guy like I am, I heard it in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s, but I haven't heard it again until George Floyd's murder. All of a sudden, as if a large tectonic plate had shifted, police were instantly tagged as the tip of a systemic racial spear in our American culture. Critical social justice says an individual police officer may not be racist, but 
police in general are systemically racist and the bane of all people of color, but especially black men. <laughs> what absolute tripe and slander, and I haven't believed one second of this evil, and I hope you haven't either. And if you didn't agree with this racial charge, or you tried to interject a but or an if into the dialogue about this outlandish indictment of police, you were not only severely admonished, but you were also canceled by those mythical social media types in charge of our culture. The slander that America's whiteness somehow mysteriously put police in charge of systemic racial law enforcement truly blew me away. Just like most earthquakes, we know or suspect we could be living on a fault line, but we usually just put it out of mind until we feel that first mini-quake. George Floyd's death initiated several mini-quakes that continued to ripple throughout last summer and perversely morphed into media lies about mostly peaceful and fully justified riots with lots of reparation-inspired looting, violence, property damage, and of course we can't forget arson. Soon after these many wake-up, quake-up alerts reminding us that we're on a major fault line, we put these unsettling thoughts out of our mind, largely because we feel impotent to do anything about it other than buy a handgun and go for gun safety training. We've already purchased guns by the hundreds of thousands in the last 16 months, but unfortunately, we're unlikely to mentally revisit the trauma provoked by a racist group like Black Lives Matter or other radical Democrats. We say, what's the purpose? Well, there's only one purpose in thinking about it. It must motivate us to change our local leadership, our state senators, our state representatives, as well as our governors and our congressional representatives and senators, if they're on the wrong side of these issues. Sadly, if you live in a Democrat-controlled city or state, your leadership is definitely on the wrong side of this issue. We must not allow defunding the police or allow district attorneys to skip prosecuting criminals, all criminals. Unquestionably elected leaders who advocate defunding the police and going soft on crime are a major root cause of escalating crime across America. Yes, I know it appears to be across America, but it's most definitely confined to Democrat-controlled cities. Why is that? Why indeed? And what has the Biden-Harris administration done to change the direction of public safety? Nothing. They've barely acknowledged the security problem. Yet when it's brought up, they deflect and blame the Republicans for defunding the police. Really, they've just begun this campaign of tagging Republicans for low police morale and police attrition across the nation. To my thinking, the first and foremost responsibility of any government structure is public safety. But I contend that the radical Democrats, the socialists, and the Marxists in the White House are pleased with the chaos and the divisiveness crime is causing in America. The more chaos, the better. A divided America is their goal. As I said last week, Abraham Lincoln stated the simple fact that a house divided cannot stand, and the radicals in the White House are counting on this. They know that while we hear about the huge percentage increase in urban crime, we hear it daily, but we don't pay attention to this giant critical social justice fault line we're living on. You know, we're really only one more police shooting away from another quake, and this one could be huge. Well, not to worry, I'm not going to speak directly about critical social justice or about racial equity or critical race theory directly today. 
Today I'm going to speak about the flawed and evil policies of a largely hidden, mostly Marxist-led, Biden-Harris administration. So what do I think the Biden-Harris administration is up to? Of course we know Biden and Harris really have nothing to do with anything that's going on in their name. The whole operation is being managed by what we euphemistically call the deep state. Well, the deep state has nearly surfaced, and it isn't all that deep anymore. They've surfaced all the way into the White House and into every cabinet secretary position. So uh, how far left are we talking about? Like off the left edge of a flat world, uh, that left? Well, before the Trump administration came about and the emergence of Bernie Sanders, we assumed that the far left meant extreme liberals or progressives, as they're fond of calling themselves. But come 2016, Bernie Sanders' presidential campaign exposed a major portion of the far left as unabashed socialists. Now, despite Sanders' loss to Hillary Clinton in the Democrat Party 2016 presidential primary, socialist ideology continued to spread across the Democrat Party's far left. And then when, with Bernie's 2020 campaign, his rhetoric began to sound more like Marxist than socialist. And this really worried the politicals in the Democrat Party. Not because they took issue with Bernie's Marxist ideology, not at all. They took issue with Bernie's Marxism because they clearly understood most Americans wouldn't accept Bernie's open radical agenda. They understood they couldn't win the 2020 election, no matter how many cheating tricks they played across all the Democratic voting strongholds. Bernie's ideology had grown among the radical left wing of the Democrat Party, and Donald Trump seized upon that and repeatedly vowed that under his watch, America would never become a socialist country. But then, in the very beginning of 2020, when our economy was humming strong and all Americans, regardless of skin color, were moving up the economic ladder, when critical social justice couldn't get a foothold, then along came the Chinese Wuhan COVID-19 pandemic, and everything changed. The Democrats jettisoned Bernie Sanders for what appeared to be a centrist candidate and good old Uncle Joe Biden. And we were force-fed two massive lies. Dastardly lies that too many moderate Democrats and left-of-center independents swallowed hook, line, and stinker. The first was that Joe Biden was a moderate liberal with a long-established track record of moderation. They heralded Joe Biden as the antidote to Donald Trump's brashness and Bernie Sanders' Marxist brand of socialism. Even Joe Biden assured us with his inauguration speech that he was a uniter and would rule from the middle. In order for Biden to satisfy the growing aggressive crowd on the far left of his party, the Biden team picked an incompetent, mean-spirited, crackling black woman to serve as vice president. But this was only the first of many deals Biden made with Lucifer so that Joe could spend his years and his dotage as the 46th President of the United States. As an aside, if you've watched Joe Biden locomote, speak, perform other activities, you have to ask yourself, could Joe Biden live without the extreme assisted living care he receives daily by the White House staff? I'm convinced Joe doesn't know the day of the week, and if asked, he has to reach into his suit coat pocket and pull out his cue card. Now, if it's not on the cue card, Joe doesn't know it, and his communication staffs are deathly afraid that he'll ad-lib the answer. 
I contend that Joe couldn't live by himself without major assisted support. Now, there's nothing wrong with this on the surface, but do we want a president that needs to be reminded he's no longer a senator or to stop trying to recite the first part of the Declaration of Independence, something Joe's botched several noteworthy times in just the past few months? How long would it take Joe living alone before he broke both hips, sustained a concussion, walked out the front door and got lost in the neighborhood, or set his apartment on fire? Yet we all pretend Biden is cognitively competent and physically healthy. <laughs> but there are so many tells in Joe's behavior that belie his cognitive incompetency. Heck, the guy can hardly read a sentence off a teleprompter without fumbling the entire line and its meaning. The joke is Biden would be better off turning the teleprompter around and letting us read what he is supposed to be saying. But then again, if we did that, we'd deny ourselves the spectacle of Joe's podium theatrics, especially his new whispering acts. The second lie we were told besides Joe would run the country as a unifying moderate is that Joe was going to treat the pandemic properly with respect and empathy and put an end to it. Something his campaign convinced us that Donald Trump was incompetent of doing or incapable of. And so how's that worked out? Instead, we're still slapping those senseless, harmful masks on our two-year-olds. We're still wearing masks on airplanes, airplanes that have the most efficient, most effective, and advanced clean air filtration systems on the planet. We're in the big-time habit of shaming people who haven't been vaccinated. We're still discrediting a person's natural immunity from a COVID-19 infection, even though they've recovered from a bona fide case of COVID. We still have a discredited Dr. Anthony Fauci on CNN, MSNBC, ABC, NBC, CBS, telling parents that they must get their children vaccinated or protective services could come knocking on their doors. We still have a CDC using fear to gain compliance to their politically driven, unscientific guidelines on all things COVID-19. We have a White House that dismantled the prior State Department's investigation of the origins of COVID-19. That is, until the lab leak theory hit the proverbial White House fan. For all we know, Joe still sleeps with a mask on. Did you see the video of Madam Vice President at the El Paso airport, you know, her border stop, with the big black mask on? In fact, every member of her party and even the Border Patrol agents there to show her around had the same, uh, you can't miss these big black masks on. This even though everyone there had been vaccinated. Yeah, but you have to keep the scare up, you know. Fear is a powerful tool in the hands of trained operators. Nevertheless, the truth is, without Donald Trump's brash, push-the-place bets on multiple public-private contracts for vaccine invention and production, we'd all be visiting funeral homes more often than any of us wants to think about. But, but I digress. But I promise I did so with a purpose. It's important to remember that Joe is, the, is that. He is that proverbial Trojan horse. Joe's a tool. He's an instrument of those who run the White House, and their ideology is far closer to an American brand of Marxism than anything America has ever seen before, and certainly at these high levels in our government. This administration is still not six months old. But their strategic plan to transform this nation into a hybrid Marxist-Socialist nation is on course, and I contend it's ahead of schedule. They're using critical social justice and race as both a wedge and a fulcrum 
to split us apart and leverage their way forward before what they're up to becomes painfully obvious. Today I'm going to begin, just begin, tackling the root cause analysis of all things done in the name of Biden-Harris, but at the instruction of the Democrat-Socialist-Marxist complex currently in firm control of our federal government. And there's no better place to start than with Madam Vice President Kamala's purported root cause analysis of our unbridled immigration problem. Now, if you've spent any time listening to our vocabulary challenge vice president, all you hear her say that she's up to these days is a root cause analysis of why 2 million economic alien refugees will cross into America by the end of 2021. Hey, 2022 looks even more shocking. In a three-minute clip of one of Vice President Harris's recent press conferences, she uses the words root cause analysis or root cause 12 times. If you collect several of her scheduled and impromptu talks and speeches about her role in border migration, she uses the term root cause analysis and or root cause hundreds of times. As you can imagine, this migration phenomena likely has several key roots or causes driving people to pick up and illegally make the now expensive and dangerous trip to our border. In other words, Kamala is supposed to find these root causes of migration to the states and assess their respective contributions to the problem. Then she's to offer suggestions at the root level as to how to best kill these roots and permanently eliminate them as drivers of migration to America. And then what? <laughs> yes, and then what? I'm telling you, the whole root cause analysis exercise is a devious and perverted political charade. Let's face it, Camilla Harris couldn't find her way out of a small one-door bathroom. I truly believe the people running the Biden-Harris administration view this unprecedented exodus to America as a political critical social justice bonus. For them, this massive migration is a key part of their strategic plan to reshape America. If anything, they want to grow these root causes fueling immigration. They want more and more people of color storming the borders and pushing their way into America. In fact, what they're lying to us about is that they really see mass migration as a political good and a political ploy in their strategy to reshape America. Now, I expect by now you're saying Daniel's lost it again. Where does he come up with this stuff? Oh, hang on, I'm getting there. Nothing could be more disingenuous than Camilla going to Central America and Mexico for a couple of six-hour visits at the highest levels of government and coming to any sort of serious root cause analysis of the problems driving the depopulating and outbound migration from these small countries. You don't really think that if America weren't offering security and lots of free stuff like health care, food, education, housing, transportation, legal services, and the list goes on, that they would just pick up and leave everything behind just because Joe Biden said, if I'm elected president, yeah, you're welcome to come to America. Joe's words without the free stuff is no bargain, certainly not a life-altering bargain. I've done in-country root cause analyses in Latin America and you can't solve complex social and structural problems with one or two quick, top-heavy visits. But by the time Camilla gets done with her assignment, close to 1.5 million residents of Central America, Mexico, and 160 other countries will have relocated to America. 
Now, let me ask you, even if you were tasked by the president with Camilla's assignment, wouldn't you wonder about the benefit to us of all these foreigners rushing our border? I mean, what, what are we getting out of all this migration? Yes, 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 it sounds selfish, but come on, man. If you're into critical social justice, you definitely would say that a question like this is racist. But again, qui bono, who benefits? If we're going to open up our border and nation to the astronomical expense and associated social disruption, including increased crime, shouldn't America and Americans get some return on hospitality? So ask yourself, what could possibly be our problem for which millions of low-skilled, non-English-speaking, undereducated, alien dependents with dependent minors and with questionable health and criminal records, what are they the solution for? And a solution for whom? Is it that we don't have enough manual labor, low-skilled manual labor at that? So how many millions of people do we need? Perhaps you believe or, or you feel guilty that as a rich nation we're not doing enough to solve the world's poverty. Perhaps you don't believe that the billions upon billions of dollars we spend each year, each year, in freely given foreign aid is enough. But remember, no nation is more generous than America. Perhaps you feel morally compelled to urge our government to borrow trillions of dollars from foreign countries so that we can take in and financially support millions upon millions of poor immigrants and tens of thousands of unaccompanied alien migrant children. Each year, we do this each year. No, this isn't a one-time deal. Moreover, this migration isn't due to some hellish war or some natural catastrophe that's devastated these people's homelands. This is the commitment made in our name and our children's name for the foreseeable future by invisible folks running the Biden-Harris administration. Camilla isn't searching for the causes of migration to stop it. Her assignment is to look for ways to increase migration while lying to us about what the White House operators are up to. Now, perhaps Kamala hasn't figured out what this scam is really all about. We know Joe is clueless, but Susan Rice and her White House operators, they know what this is all about. Now, let's face a fact right up front here. I am not a racist, and no, I don't believe only black people are entitled to be non-racist, or that white people are born into a new original sin of whiteness. What a crazy world. If you say anything negative or questioning about this mass migration on our border, you are immediately and mercilessly stoned by social media into public humiliation and digital death. But if someone doesn't point out the reality of what's happening with our wholesale importation of vulnerable people or how it's affecting our ability to pay for it, and how it's affecting these small countries who are losing mostly young people and their nation's children to a wealthy northern border magnet, this massive flow will continue indefinitely. Speaking of racism, do you think if all these foreign migrants were whites crowding their way onto our public welfare rolls, that the Biden-Harris administration would be so welcoming to the tune of another six to eight million more white people coming to America by 2024? I think not. Nevertheless, this migrant flow is very much about race, and don't be fooled otherwise. For the record, I'm not any more in favor of a million white people or any other shade of skin color flooding America the way it's being currently flooded. I have no desire 
to saddle our children and their children with another trillion dollars of debt so we can support alien migrants because they no longer want to live in their country. No, I wouldn't want to live there either. But there are legal ways to come to America, especially if you truly have family here. Our current legal system is geared to family immigration. It's what chain migration is all about. Surely you've heard about chain migration. Trump talked about it for at least six years. Instead of America setting up a meritocratic system where those migrating to America bring with them a particular skill or knowledge sorely needed in America, we have family-based chain migration, which is about who you're related to here in America. It doesn't matter if the person wishing to reunite with their recently migrated American family member, it doesn't matter if they're a lowlife or a deadbeat. Family is family in American immigration law. Again, I believe in legal immigration. You know, we make a million people new citizens every year. Here, we do it legally. I believe there are also those who are bona fide political refugees. For instance, I believe those people fleeing the repressive governments in Venezuela and Cuba deserve our consideration. And consider the Chinese Uyghurs. I would fully support the United States granting every one of them asylum status in America if China would ever let them leave. What's the alternative? It's Uyghur genocide. This is where our moral responsibilities rest, not in relocating millions of poor Latin Americans as part of a quasi-Marxist plot to leverage Congress into granting blanket amnesty the 26 to 28 million undocumented aliens. By the way, I got over guilt of being born an American and also of being born white a long time ago. Listen, being raised Catholic, coping with guilt, is it's not easily done. Anyway, the choice to be born white and American wasn't mine anymore. Then any of us have a choice over any of these variables. But it's a waste of time to allow guilt to drive something so critically important as immigration policy. Guilt should play no role in our decisions about migration, especially when we already have settled law that says what the Biden-Harris administration is doing with immigration is neither moral nor legal. Think of it. We have so many social problems right here in America. So send Kamala to South Chicago and let her do a root cause analysis of gang violence and poverty there. But that won't happen because solving that vexing problem doesn't increase the voting power base of Democrats. There's nothing more powerful Democrats can do than securing citizenship for 26 to 28 million undocumented aliens who likely will become Democrats. And if Democrats can help force the amnesty issue by flooding the border with aliens, that's what they're going to do. And anyone who gets in the way will be denounced and publicly flogged as a racist. As I've said before, the criminal irony is that VP Harris is actually looking for the root problems obstructing alien immigration into America. All you have to do is look at the facts and you can't come to any other conclusion. And I promise right after this quick break, we're going to get right back to it. Trust me, the next 30 minutes is where all the action's at. Hang in there. I'll be back in a flash. Well, my fellow Americans, how did you feel watching footage on the news of domestic terrorists looting our stores and burning our cities down? Uh, you were probably disgusted and angry as much as I was. It's disturbing what's going on. Well, you'd be shocked to know that your shopping habits 
uh, supporting these extremists. Companies like Amazon, Nike, Disney, FedEx, it's an endless list. And they've been supporting these radical groups. Let's stop supporting companies that fund these extremist groups. We can all do our part. Visit shoptotheright.com and you'll find businesses in a nationwide database and companies that are aligned with our American values. Visit shoptotheright.com and let's all make a difference. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep can be infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's digital age makes it even harder. You're not alone with this struggle. Poor sleep affects over 70% of Americans. Even the Centers for Disease Control label insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. To take back your sleep, Healthy Cell has created REM Sleep, the only sleep supplement made to support all four stages of human sleep with calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support delivered in a patent-pending, pill-free, ultra-absorption microgel formula that tastes great. Fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deeply, and wake up refreshed with Healthy Cell's REM sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off your first order. That's HealthyCell.com, H-E-A-L-T-H-Y-C-E-L-L, and use code OUTLOUD for 20% off. There was a time when Americans could rely on the fourth estate. Well, in these challenging times, the media is both reckless and complicit. AmericaOutloud.com. Top analysis from leading experts, articles, podcasts, video, and 24-7 talk radio. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. and hallucinations and welcome back to the frankly daniel show here's the data point that i want to share with you that i think will help you draw the same conclusions that i have about what the biden administration is doing on the border the biden harris administration's 2022 budget slashes nearly one billion dollars from the border patrol's annual budget to be exact They want to take out $927 million. Despite the current Border Patrol manpower shortage, Secretary of Homeland Security Mr. Mayorkas is already forcing early retirement and reassignment of senior Border Patrol managers and directors. Now, he doesn't want any lip or pushback from from the labor that could interrupt the flow of migrants, so he's decided to start pushing agents around in this fiscal year and he's going to reduce their budget by nearly a billion dollars next year. Let me ask again, what effect do you think this budget cut will have on the flow of migrants across our border? Root causes? Really? Please already. There's already increasing evidence that Mexico and many Central American countries are emptying their jails of routine low-life criminals. No, No, this isn't part of these countries' prison reform efforts. There's only one reason for this massive early release program. These countries see an opportunity to unload a host of social problems and costs. And guess who they're unloading them on? Upon release, these former inmates are quietly told to get the heck out of the country. 
So where do you think they're going? Well, that they're going north. Border Patrol reports that each month or two, approximately 40 to 50,000 alien migrants cross into America without being apprehended. Border Patrol even has a catchphrase for these migrants. They're called gotaways. Now, Border Patrol, they can see them through various cameras and drones, but they don't have the manpower to make apprehensions before these migrants disappear into the shadows of our large urban cities. Migrants seeking asylum coming through the U.S. Customs ports along our border, there's multiple ones, they receive immediate public assistance. This includes free transportation, free housing, free food, free education, free health care, free legal services, and a host of other free services. So you have to ask yourself, why would 40,000 gotaways decide to turn this down and instead to just wander our country on their own? Uh, the answer should be obvious. They know that they have a documented criminal record, and if caught, they wouldn't be allowed into the states, or at least we think they wouldn't be allowed into the states. Many are cartel gang members, and they're here in the states to enforce the travel contracts many of these migrants made for passage to the American border. You know, the $25 million they're making every week on just transporting people. Now, this is in addition to their other activities along the border. Many migrants in this country are on an installment plan, so to speak, and cartel members are here to ensure timely payment. With this many possible criminal aliens entering the country each month, isn't it immigration and customs enforcement? ICE's job to track these folks down and deport them? Well, interesting that you should ask that question. The Biden-Harris administration has stopped all deportations of aliens, even criminal aliens. This includes those aliens that have been to asylum court and had their applications for asylum turned down. These people have been told to voluntarily leave the country, but most of them don't. Few of us follow this closely enough to know that the Biden-Harris administration has put a stop order on ICE catching illegal aliens and deporting them. In fact, ICE has been told to stand down on nearly all deportations, and this includes criminal deportations. Ask yourself why. ICE has the capacity to remove more than 33,000 illegal aliens per month. This past April, ICE removed fewer than 3,000 illegal aliens, their lowest monthly total ever. Now, even during the Obama-Biden years, ICE removed an average of 19,000 illegals a month. The last full year of the Trump administration, 2020, 92% of ICE removals were of aliens who had criminal convictions or pending criminal charges. So, we now have record numbers of illegal aliens crossing into America each month. And because of the Biden administration's policies, we have record numbers of illegal aliens not being removed from America each month. Now, something is terribly wrong with this picture. Allow me to read something that Andrew Arthur just published July 1, 2021, on the Center for Immigration Studies website. I highly recommend that website. The Center for Immigration Studies has been doing immigration research and reporting for six decades, and they are unquestionably the leading authority when it comes to all things American migration. Mr. Arthur's article is entitled, San Francisco Sanctuary Policy, Protected Criminal Alien Arrested for Hate Crime. 
Six years after Kate Steinle's death, the same policies continue to claim victims. I'm going to read some of the most important paragraphs I've seen recently about the Biden-Harris administration's view about America, Americans, and immigration. Remember, California and certainly San Francisco have been illegal alien sanctuaries. On January 21, 2021, by executive order, Joe Biden made America a sanctuary nation, meaning ICE detainers are not to be honored by local law enforcement. Now, I usually don't read major sections of printed articles on the radio, but this is so important and revealing, I I just couldn't pass it up. Quote, To the current administration, that being, of course, the Biden administration, a crime that is committed by an alien criminal is no better or worse than one committed by a homegrown lowlife, because at the heart of the Biden policies is the belief that the American people lack the moral authority to have any immigration laws at all. To them, the United States is such an inherently flawed nation that it has no right to decide which foreign nationals can come and which have to leave. In fact, they believe that the very existence of our current immigration laws is proof positive of the fundamental turpitude of this republic and its people. That is why they refuse to enforce the immigration laws, except in cases that are so heinous that they cannot be hidden from the public sight. And they refuse to let the agents, in other words ICE, and officers who are paid to enforce them, do so either. One proof? ICE leadership is prioritizing which aliens its officers may question, arrest, detain, and remove, narrowing their targets to terrorists and criminals. Recent illegal entrants, certain aliens convicted of aggravated felonies, and a small number of gang members. Woe unto the officer who missed the memo and arrested the wrong, but still deportable alien. Their excuse? The agency has limited resources. Allow me to paraphrase the last sentence in this article. The Biden-Harris administration and Secretary Mayorkas are mocking us as they write those words, because they know they aren't true, but they also know there's nothing we can do about it. End quote. Yes, there's nothing we can do about it now, but we must become informed and educated about who in Congress supports these anti-American ideas. We're still a little more than a year away from the 2022 elections, but we need to start cataloging these subjects and who's promoting them. I mean, now we need to get grounded in the truth about immigration because the lies will continue and be perpetually echoed by the establishment liberal media sympathetic propaganda. But believe it or not, too few Americans know or understand how gigantic and purposely uncontrolled alien migration is, or how much it costs us in U.S. dollars and in crime. The Harvard Center for American Political Studies and the Harris Polling Organization recently released a survey conducted among 2,600 registered voters between June 15th and June 17th of this year. Now, survey stats are a challenge to relate over the radio but I think you're going to find these highly informative. This poll included a number of opinions on Joe and Kamala's immigration policies. And here's a shocker. 81% of respondents considered immigration to be a serious problem, 
with 43% stating it's a very serious problem. 55% believe that Trump's border policies worked well and that Biden should have left them in place. Interestingly, respondents grossly, however, underestimated just how many migrants are surging the border each month. So despite the fact that they believe it's a serious problem, they're really out of touch with how big of a problem it really is. In review, and on average, Border Patrol apprehends around 178,000 migrants each month, with an estimated that 30 to 40,000 that they can't get to. Those are the getaways. Particularly notable is the fact that these are record numbers, yet respondents significantly under-assessed how large the migrant surge at the border has been. This clearly demonstrates how ignorant we are about the truth concerning illegal immigration. It's also proof how effective the liberal established media is at downplaying this migration play by the Biden-Harris administration. 71%, more than 70% of respondents, underestimated monthly apprehensions by more than 70,000. We have about 178,000. They underestimated apprehensions by 70,000. That's a whopping percentage. 21% thought there were fewer than 10,000 apprehensions a month. Nearly a quarter of the people thought that there were less than 10,000 people. There's 178,000. My nerves already. 31% estimated the encounters were between 10,000 and 50,000. 19% thought the apprehensions were somewhere between 50 and 100,000. Can you imagine if the 81% at the beginning of this survey we talked about of these folks who think illegal immigration is a serious problem, 43% of them thinking it's a really serious problem, discovered they have no accurate idea how bad it really is by the numbers. If they found out and you asked them again, can you imagine what people might say? Just 7% of respondents correctly estimated apprehensions averaging between 150 and 200,000 a month. To be complete, 13% said between 100,000 and 150,000. And surprisingly, 8% thought more than 200,000 and higher were crossing each month. Now, perhaps this 8% with the 200,000 estimate, they're just ahead of our time. Each month, the numbers have been growing. They may well be ahead of our time. When respondents were told the real numbers of monthly border apprehensions, 64% said the Biden administration should issue new, stricter policies to reduce the flow of people across the border immediately. But we haven't heard any of this from the Biden-Harris administration. What these numbers mean to Americans, who they have no idea the financial burden these monthly totals are place, placing on our, our tax backs as American citizens. Our financial commitment has got to be sizably different for a population of 10,000 which a quarter of the people thought that's approximately what was coming, versus the 178,000. I mean, 178,000 is two Big Ten football stadiums packed. Just imagine prepping hot dogs and nachos for that crowd. This important survey also revealed that 50, 56% of the respondents disagree with the Biden-Harris administration's proposition that climate change, racism, and sexism were the root causes of migration from Central and South America. How about that? 
Other points of interest, 26% thought that the current immigration system is sufficient to deal with the migrant surge at the border. These are obviously very ignorant people or very ideologically driven. Well, 74%, three-quarters of those surveyed, deemed it a crisis that needs to be dealt with immediately. And like all surveys along party lines, Republicans overwhelmingly believe that Biden is creating an open border compared to Democrats. That breakdown was 66% to 34%. Well, enough by the numbers. It's still quite amazing the work that still needs to be done to bring us to some semblance of being informed citizens. But back to Camilla and her root cause analysis of all issues surrounding border crossings. So let's break it down. To date, most migrants crossing into America are from Mexico and Central America. Interestingly, they're not from Costa Rica or Panama, which are also in Central America. Now, why aren't they from Costa Rica or Panama? You'd think this would be one of the first places super sleuth Camilla would stop along the way in her investigation of all things called root causes. Instead, she goes to Guatemala and Mexico and discovers there's poverty and crime in these countries and that they're key factors as to why so many people would leave and go to the United States. Boy, that's interesting. I submit that there is murderous crime in South Chicago and serious poverty in all of our Democrat-controlled major urban areas. So given these root causes that exist right here in America, should we expect a migration of Americans to go north into Canada? Camilla would also have us believe that climate change in Central America and Mexico are major reasons why citizens of these countries are coming here. She and Joe have both repeatedly said so. Sorry, I've been to Mexico and Central America many times, and I'm at a total loss as to what climate change could possibly have to do with illegal immigration into the United States. But we just saw in the Harvard study that 56% of Americans aren't buying this fiction either. Besides crime and poverty, I don't remember Camilla mentioning any other routes she's discovered over the last 100 days she's officially been in charge of this investigation. I don't remember her mentioning the root causes for why we're seeing planetary record amounts of fentanyl cross our border each month, killing tens of thousands of Americans. I don't remember her mentioning the root causes for immigrant crime rising across our country. I don't remember her mentioning the root causes for the escalating murder and violent crimes occurring along the Mexican side of our border, much of which is also spilling over into America. I don't remember her mentioning how we're incapable or we're being prevented from capturing those 40,000 gotaways who stealth their way into American cities every month. No, I don't remember Camilla mentioning the root causes of how 80 to 100 migrants are found dead along the common migrant pathways leading to our borders every month. Maybe she did, but I don't remember Camilla mentioning the root causes behind the massive number of migrants entering this country every month with incomplete health and criminal records. We already know that an unacceptable number of migrants crossing into America are COVID-positive, at rates much higher than our own population. Uh, It's possible, but I don't remember Camilla mentioning how our open border policy is fueling the financial and political power of criminal cartels in these donor countries which are right across our border. I don't remember Camilla mentioning the billions of dollars earned by illegal migrants 
in America and then sent to their home countries, financing more cartel-assisted migrant passage to America. Now, I don't remember that. I don't remember Camilla mentioning any of the root causes causing the unprecedented increase in human migrant trafficking, prostitution, child pornography, and indentured servitude right here in America. Huh. I don't remember Ms. Vice President talking about our generous lifelong public welfare support for each and every migrant crossing into America under the protection of our Border Patrol. And I don't remember Camilla telling us about how the Department of Homeland Security is flying minor children into the States at our expense so they can be with the parent or guardian while the parent or guardian awaits their asylum hearing. That mostly is likely years away. <laughs> I'm getting more skeptical. I don't remember Madam Vice President telling us about the new asylum program cooked up by the Civil Rights Division within the Department of Justice and the Department of Homeland Security. Now, I understand this program allows a migrant to apply for and immediately be granted asylum simply by claiming they've been a victim of domestic violence or crime in their home country. Now, you don't need any proof. If you say so, it is so. You know, I think 25% of South Chicago could qualify for asylum under these requirements. The question is, where do they go for relief? Uh, tell us, Madam Vice President, what are the root causes for how the United States of America has become the largest foster home for over 100,000 unaccompanied alien children in just five months. What a record! You understand we're still housing 95% of these alien children because we still haven't found their family connection to anyone here in the States. Now, why hasn't our free press, and they are free, aren't they, why haven't they asked Kamala the root causes for the administration's bizarre mixed messaging encouraging, then discouraging, and then encouraging migrants to get to the United States as soon as possible. How is it that you, Madam Vice President, stand at a podium in Guatemala and say to the audience, don't come, don't come, and then you show up in El Paso to celebrate El Paso as the new American Ellis Island? My ancestry came directly and legally through Ellis Island. I deplore the comparison, Madam Vice President. Um, Madam Vice President, what are the root causes incentivizing the governors of several non-border states to send police, sheriffs, and National Guard troops to border states like Texas to help them police their state border with Mexico and support public safety and security in Texas? Well, what are the root causes of something like that? And, and while I'm asking, Madam Vice President, what might be the root cause as to why Texas has decided to finish the Trump wall along their border with Mexico? Boy, that's really a, a tough one. Isn't it about time we hear Camilla break out in her quacky, cracking laugh? Okay. <laughs> So, Madam Vice President, the only solution I've heard you come up with to address all these root causes is money. The Biden-Harris administration is going to send several hundred million dollars more to each of these countries. Seriously? You can't possibly believe that this is going to prevent migrants from coming to America for our free stuff. What you're going to spend in these countries, apparently trying to bribe country and local officials to block migration out of these small countries, 
isn't enough to buy Happy Meals for everyone still there. Let's face it, Madam Vice President, give up the farce. You, nor Joe, nor the Democrat-Socialist-Marxist coalition running the White House can hide this scam any longer. The Biden-Harris administration is out to flood the country with asylum seekers. You don't care that the United Nations definition of a refugee seeking asylum excludes, yes, hear me, it excludes, meaning it doesn't include economic as any part of their definition of refugee. But 98 out of 100 migrants crossing our border are just that. They're economic refugees. But if you can flood the country with literally millions of new economic refugees, the Congress will be forced to deal with the issue of blanket amnesty and grant asylum to some 26 to 28 million undocumented aliens currently living in the United States. You know, we have this backlog of undocumented people here. The administration is also pushing for a fast-track citizenship plan for these same 26 to 28 million soon-to-be documented asylum refugees. Depending how long someone has already been in the country, the Democrats in Congress will push for early citizenship, making many of these eligible to vote in the upcoming 2024 election. Surprise, surprise, right? Few things steam me more than when I get a snooty lecture telling me that I can do all these things at the same time. I can support our troops, and I can also care about refugees and asylum seekers. I can care about American children, and I can care about refugee children. I can care about my country, and I can care about world issues as well. I make no apologies. I've given hundreds of hours of my life to developing, fundraising, and implementing health care services and health care degree-granting programs in Latin America. Much of this time I volunteered. Crazy, isn't it? How easy it is to care. But when you start asking people to pony up a sacrifice in their life, well, then you really come to understand who cares. Show people pictures of some of these people coming across the border and everyone's heart goes out to them. These folks, however, are the first to say our government should do more to help these people. Whose government are you talking about? Oh, you're talking about our government. So where does our government get the money to help these people? Because that's what we're talking about. We're talking about cash. Good wishes and prayers don't feed, house, and educate these migrants. So let's ask the next question. What would you say to an assessment of $1,000 each year tacked onto your federal income tax? Oh, you don't pay federal income tax. So you're among the 51% of Americans that don't make enough to pay federal taxes. So you're saying the 49% of Americans that do pay federal taxes that they should be willing to pony up the extra $1,000 a year. Oh, you're, you're not saying that. You're saying perhaps we could do with one less stealth bomber, or do we really need another aircraft carrier? So now the argument goes, uh, that, that's your position, that you're sharing your expertise with us now about national defense. This is just an example of dozens of examples I hear every day about why these people care, but they think that's somebody else's responsibility to do the money part of it. Well, the way immigration is going today in our country is a very complicated problem, but we best get on top of it. Otherwise, it's going to swallow us whole. And yes, it is one of the major fault lines. We're all living right above. 
alas, our time has come to an end. So much more to come next week. So much more to say. Lord willing, I will return next week. I hope you do too. I regret I only have one life to give to my fellow conservatives. And I deeply regret I had only one hour to give to this topic. I hope you found fault lines and root causes of illegal immigration informative. Please follow me on Twitter if you would. I do follow back. You can find me at DFB Harvard, Daniel Francis Baranowski, DFB Harvard, all one word. I can't possibly thank you enough. You were marvelous and so patient with me again today. Let's do talk therapy again next week. Same place, same time. Until then, cheers and blessings.